Blog Talk Radio. Hello, world. Welcome to another exciting segment of Everyday Folks' Fright Talk, where we talk about everything that is horrific and suspenseful. If at any time you'd like to speak to us during this live podcast today, September 22nd, 2021, you may call us at 347-539-5372. Again, that call-in number is 347-539-5372. And we know you're not shy, but we're going to still offer a few other options via email at everydayfolkslisten at gmail.com or frighttalkguys at gmail.com. And we got two more for you. Go on Instagram right now and subscribe to Fright Talk Guys, simple to find in the search file. Or in tabs, my other half, my brother, Nadine Tabs at N-T-A-B-S-C-H. How you doing, Nadine? I'm always good, Billy. I'm always good every day that we have a show. And it's always brother. wonderful. Isn't it another another great show, another great week to look forward to? You know, now right now South Florida is nice and rainy outside. It's setting the stage, yes, right, for all of our listeners. Yes, is. What is it that you call our listeners, Billy? Oh, my gosh. I called them. There's a name that we said last. The last oh, my gosh. Right? How, we got to coin that. That's right, Fright brother. Fright squad. That's right, the Fright Squad. We got to coin that. I completely forgot. And Fright Squad, Brother Nadim is right. In fact, we, we're glad you're here tonight for AM8 Season 10 Part 1 Review. AM8 Season 10 Part 1 is one of the most unique seasons of the horror ch- franchise on FX. A screenwriter, along with his family, seeks refuge from the city life in a small northeast town to work on his struggling, his struggling writing career and enjoy a quieter family life. But what happens upon their arrival is anything relaxing. Creator Ryan Murphy provides more twists and turns that reveal not only the town's dark secrets, but also the risks people take for fame and fortune. And Nadine, for us, this is season 10, 10 years of American Horror Story. Props to you, Ryan Murphy and the team. Cast is amazing. There are always so many great favorites. And it's so neat to see such versatile uh, actors take on new roles and make us love them again in a new space and in a, in a new visage. And so when we, when, when we talked about having this show, what's, what, what do you appreciate the most about Everyday Folk Season 10? Well, you know, I appreciate that there's always uh, the creators at American Horror Story are always going to something original. I I feel that Mm -hmm. they've done a very good job at not keeping the audiences bored. You know, I know that the different seasons, everybody has their preferences. You know, there's Coven and Asylum and so on and so forth. And some might might like some seasons better than others, naturally. But I think they do a really good job of reinventing themselves every season and telling a different story 
And every story is impressive. I mean, the Roanoke story was a, a, a show within a show. I mean, it's just I'm I'm very impressed with the different ideas that they come up with. And also, it's kind of like what you mentioned, Billy. You got a lot of the same recurring cast in a lot of these seasons, but they're playing different characters, and you don't feel like you're watching the same character from different seasons. You feel like you're That's watching – you're because you, you are watching a new character, but you don't feel like you're watching the same person. And I think that within itself is impressive. I mean, what when you watch the show, what is something mm-hmm. that you feel is like, wow, they're doing something nobody else is doing? Well, I will say that for – for the franchise to return after pandemic, I was hoping and expecting something good because they had a lot of time and, and afterthought to really get it right. My understanding is that the season was filming, it did film during pandemic before vaccinations. My understanding is that Ryan Murphy and his team made sure that everyone had to be clean to be on set. They shot, they shot up in Northeast in New England somewhere um, or Providence somewhere. The other thing that, to, to tell you what I appreciate the most is that, like you said, you have these characters who are normally not paired together, working together. And I thought it was neat because you didn't have to have a thousand flowers blooming in the garden to make that work. The cast is relatively small, and they carried it very well for six episodes. In fact, tonight, it's already the doubleheader ends tonight. Tonight is the final episode. Right. Of part one. And right. I love the fact that we're getting a double header because I feel like we're making up for last year. But it really, yeah. just like writing short stories, and you know this as well as an artist from writing poetry and, and producing photo um, paintings, each one has a story and mm-hmm. you want it to yeah. be memorable and, un, you know, and flash unforgettable. This was so different because this season stood out from any others. And because I feel like the last couple seasons were kind of meshing into each other. It was mm-hmm. nice in 1984. Before that, they had the election year. There was kind of some weird overlap of just crazy psychotic murdering and all that. This was yeah. different, and they had never done anything with vampire-like ideas before. But after watching it, and I'm sure you will agree, it's more than just about vampires. There's a whole other message that we can unearth here or uncover here that I think makes it fascinating. Yeah, I completely agree. And, you know, you know, one of the things I enjoy about this season mm-hmm. is that I feel that the haunt is subtle. Yes, it has its scenes. And by the way, Fright Squad, I do, we don't know how up to date you are with the episodes. Just please know, don't be mad at us. There may be some spoilers. You're listening at your own discretion, right? So if anything slips out, we're going to try not to spoil anything. But if anything slips out, we apologize beforehand. Um, there's a subtlety in this season. Yes, you have some moments where you see some, you know, high-end scary stuff, but generally it's a creepier factor. It's not a gory factor. It's not a scare factor. It's just a creepier factor, and I appreciate that so much more because I feel that's more difficult to accomplish than just a, a boo-in-your-face type of thing. So I really appreciate that, that them taking that extra step, that we're going to make this deliberately creepy but not out of hand just to, just for spook factor, which I think is, is pretty good. That's a good observation, Nadim. It's a return to the, you know, paying homage to classic horror, to, um, you know, to Alfred Hitchcock, you know, Edgar Allan Poe. And yes, I'll even throw in, I know those get a little controversial um, when we take, think of H.P. Lovecraft. But it's a reminder, it goes back to that time where let's play on the notion of, 
modernize, you know, human society, as well as the canon in terms of classic horror. And that is a nice mashup. Here's something more. You're getting a lot of multicultural identity in this very unique town. And so you're getting these dueling identities. You're seeing a lot of uh, strong female roles, of female figures who are making a, a presence in the storyline, whether they be, you know, aspiring self-published authors trying to make it to the chemist, the alchemist herself, to the, the cop, the chief of the city. There is such an overlapping and overarching understanding of that. And I think it's super cool that they're able to play into that ideal of, 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 of diversifying, which makes it creepier, which actually yeah. makes it creepier. And there are certain characters. Can I share this too? There are certain characters like, um, oh my gosh, what's his name? He was the ball guy that was in the hotel. He's been in, um, Dennis. Yes, I know, I know exactly who you're talking about. I'm, I'm trying to figure I think his name is Dennis something, but he is in a very subtle role, but yet a significant role in the storyline. It's yes. almost as if the storyline itself is like perfect for like, it was like in its own, like, um, COVID, you know, quarantine, <laughs> like, you know, you don't see right. everybody together and <laughs> like the, the town yeah. is desolate. So I was like, okay, wait a minute. This could actually be really happening right now around the corner from us. So I thought that was super cool. Yeah, I, I, and, you know, I, I think that they did a great job picking the location that they picked it. I think that the location being, let's call it, eerily, eerily empty. We'll put it that way. Eerily yes. empty. I, they do an amazing job. Dennis O'Hare, by the way, is the person you're thinking of. I that believe. was the name. Dennis O'Hare. Dennis O'Hare, yes. And, um, and I know that... You, Nadine, you know that the thing about that I was going to share, you know, did you notice how colors, you notice how there's the, the colors of the scenes? Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's again, paying homage to classic horror. You, it's you very have these gray. very muted grays yeah. and greens yeah. and dark foreboding shadows. And it just creeps me out. You've, it's, it's just super cool that they're able to do that. So they built this ambiance in such a clever way to reinforce the storyline. Yeah, absolutely. I I think all of that pieces together and what we're seeing, you know, they have those dark scenes in the lounge, which, you know, looks great. You know, then they have those during the day. It still seems cloudy all the time. And Billy, let me ask you this. And I know we're talking about American Horror Story, The Red Tide. I know that's what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. But can you tell me what is your favorite and least favorite season's of American Horror Story in reference to theme. And it, it, I would have to say my least, in reference to scenes, you said? Theme, theme. Oh, theme. In yeah. terms of theme, wow, that's hard. I did not like, now putting it on theme, I didn't like election. Okay. I don't know why. I, I thought it was very cliche. It was very perfect for, to, to, to bank on the idea we were in a national election, right? So I just right. thought I was like, okay, get it. I got it. I'm over it, you know? So that was the one I least liked. As far as theme, as much as you know I love the coven, which I thought was super cool, I will give the apocalypse a better hand on that one or really? this season. Okay. I, I'm a toss between apocalypse and season 10. I feel the double header. And then again, we still got another part two to go, but I feel there was such a nice um, – it was just a nice open, and, and you know another. Now you got me thinking too. Freak Show wasn't so bad either. I thought Freak Show was very different as well. What I do want to say is this: I 
my understanding is that each of the seasons had some element of history that mm-hmm. played into the storyline. I'm curious to know how that plays out or how that connects in season 10, because I, I'm still waiting for that moment. And it's kind of nice not having that. Or maybe this New England town, maybe I should look this up. And I'll be honest, I, I just thought of it now. Perhaps there is some story that all of this connects to that's based in reality. Like you had the other storylines that connected to something that could have occurred, even if it was mythological. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, for me, I did not like the freak show carnival one. Mm. Um, wasn't one of my favorites. I, I think that one of my favorites would have to be the Roanoke, which I thought they did an amazing job with. That was good too. Yes, it was. Uh, Roanoke was very good. And I also did enjoy Coven quite a bit. I enjoyed Coven because it had that Louisiana spin to it, which I thought was fantastic because mm-hmm. we know Louisiana is one of the most haunted places in the U S uh, historically. So I, I enjoyed that, but you know, I'll put it this way. It is rare for me to find a season. I'm like, eh, not that I hate it. It's just, you know, least favorite in comparison to the other seasons. This one that we're watching right now, I think is absolutely brilliant. I do want to share a little spoiler, and I hope this is not going to kill the audience. (laughs) Nadine, last season, last week, really, I felt, I was so, like, impressed and moved at the same time of what took place. And I just want to share this in context so I don't give it away so you can go watch it. Sarah Paulson, who's in the in the show, you know, her entire, her incredible role is, it, oh my gosh, she, she plays an incredible role. But her interaction with, um, with Mickey, which is Macaulay Culkin, is so clever. Having Macaulay Culkin play this very um, bisexual, if you want to call it, um, hustler, you know, aspiring artist, right? Uh, writer himself, at least, and uh-huh. she is a painter. What took place last episode? Uh-huh. It was so. It was focused on their the last episode from last Wednesday. It focused on their storyline, and it was so moving, and so sad how the it ended, their situation ended. Yeah. I was impressed, super impressed, and I was like, wow, that was so. And I and I, I found myself cheering for the crackhead person. Well, at first you think, okay, this is someone who is, this derelict is an, an outskirt of society, who all along was the most sane in the situation. Right. When it came to the bigger reality. That I, was amazing. And I always thought that while her being a junkie, maybe that would protect her. Because I'm always wondering, like, how is she not being attacked by these things out here? She's living yeah. on the streets and things like that. How is she protected? And he also, they're floating in and out. You know, the cops are still doing their job. And people somehow seem to live. These things are out there. So my question is, are they just infected? Are, are they just existing in the nucleus of the city? Does that make sense? Right, right. Well, I mean, it could be. I mean, it's funny how, you know, I think it kind of paints to a bigger picture that sometimes we're wrapped up in our own bubbles. Right. Not to realize maybe how we're behaving, right? And then the people that we may shun or look upon unfavorably, maybe those are the people that really have a better grip on reality than most others. And, That's right. And so, yeah, I, I, you know, we don't know. We know that it's a town. We know that people are coming in from big city and stuff like that, but we don't know if this town is being used as some sort of social experiment in the show or anything like that. Right. And that, That's right. That's it. But that's also within the realm of possibility. That is right? a very so good prediction. And that's one of the things on American Horror Story that you can't just, you can't disregard any particular notion 
especially when it comes to supernatural or maybe everybody in that town is being used as a lab rat with a higher purpose. You know, I mean, that that's also a possibility. What I find amazing is that these Nosferatu-like vampires, I mm. love the fact that we got the chance to see the storyline of how one came to fruition and right. then how he went to the, 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 the consignment oh. shop and picked yeah. out his outfit. Oh. And yeah. I, saw, I thought that was so hilarious. But then they seem to lose all sense of conscience and are forever on a quest to be great, which is to yeah. me one of the themes, this, this quest of fame and fortune. An unquenchable desire to, you know, this, this, I shouldn't say unquenchable, but this quest to be acknowledged. Right. No, I, I get you. I completely understand what you're saying, but are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Can you hear okay. me? Yes, now I can. Okay. No, I, I get what you're saying. It's that quest of how many people are you willing to hurt to get what you want? Yes. 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 How many and that risk for fame and fortune is so powerful, which to me as an uh, as a theme, an uh, an underlying theme, super genius. I thought it was so cool that that was the focus. And so yeah. Ryan Murphy, you're really setting us up for part 2. I hope part 2 can hold up to part 1. Because so. part 2, part 1 really set the stage. And I have to say, can I also say this for the wife um, um, of, of the, of the, yeah. the, the, the yeah. yeah, I felt, I did not like how her story ended. Oh my gosh. Last, last week's episode season, um, episode five really brought her reality. Like her, what her, what became of her was very sad and she seemed right. like such a sweet, good person. But then I got to throw in this idea too, that guy who plays her husband, the the gentleman yes. he is uh-huh. I think his name Ryan Armstrong I think um uh, no oh, oh, I'm not Finn, sure but he, uh, Finn Wittrock yeah he is so freaking good my goodness wow yeah, he is I, I just I just fell in love it seemed like it had some of the strongest characters some yeah. of the strongest actors from all the seasons because there's so many strong ones. You know, yeah. they just existed in the moment together and played off of each other so well. I don't know how they prep for this. I mean, can you imagine prepping for a show like this? This is crazy. I mean, you get the script and you're like, okay, well, I'm going to give you the script and I'm sure you're going to learn some of these lines, but how do you even figure out the storyline to keep up with the twists and the plot? This right. is super incredible. And I, I just, I'm just amazed that I'm grateful that Ryan Murphy decided to sign more seasons because there was a talk about three seasons ago that he was going to give it up, but he decided not to, and that the people wanted more, and that he would stop doing Screen Queens and other stuff that was going on, and he started investing back into American Horror Story, time that is, of his creativity. It's just great that he did so, because if he can keep this going for a few more seasons, he's going to win a whole new audience. I agree, and I also thought he did a great job with Screen Queens. Yes, he did. I, I did. thought it was so I, I good. So. That was another clever um, introduction. With some yeah. really quality. I mean, he took Screen Queens and gave them a voice and identity or creation. I, don't, I yeah. thought it was very clever. And it was more. It had other messages, too, just like what we're seeing it now. Did. Absolutely. It definitely, definitely much so. And, folks, I know we're just talking and having so much fun with this because we're just enamored with the show. <laughs> Call us at 347-539-5372. Again, that's 347-539-5372. 
or shoot your love to us via comment or questions or requests on everydayfolkslisten at gmail.com or frighttalkguys at gmail.com or in tabs or Fright Talk Guys on Instagram. Thank you much. And, Billy, um, as you know, we have a slew of questions coming in. We, we had a slew we of do. questions before the show, and there's a slew of questions during the show. So we're going to try our best, our Fright Squad, to cover as many questions as we can. So, Billy, uh, first question I'm going to ask you comes from Simpson. And okay. Simpson says, can we talk about that creepy daughter for a moment? What an actress. She's going to go far. Creepy children are so cool in stories. So I agree, Simpson. I think that the daughter who deserves much props, I thought she was a sweet girl. She plays the violin. I'm thinking, oh, she's so beautiful. She's like the ideal Americana kid, right? And then all of a sudden she becomes real Americana with her greed, her greed and quest to be best, right? To be her very best. And she begins to take after her dad. So she is daddy's girl. I thought it was super neat. And we've seen that storyline happen before. I like the fact that children... It takes creativity to do this, to have a child's voice so incorporated in the storyline. When I look at movies like The Children of the Corn, those children didn't talk. They just existed. They were just there with blonde hair and glowing eyes. Like I'm like, okay, yeah, they're creepy. They're coming from the cornfield. What else you got, kid? I want you talking. Or like the movie The Orphan, right, which has a whole other twist, folks. Um, Necessarily wasn't a kid, but the point is, having a child as the bad guy or even like Damien, like the omen, the mm-hmm. omen when they had Damien, he really didn't talk. So it's really nice that we are getting these characters, these evil, dark characters that are children and also the children doing naughty things. So that daughter did something really bad to her, her brother recently on the episode mm-hmm. last week and she was feeding on his leg and the mama caught it. And it was like, I mean, they actually showed it. I was like, well, she's feeding on her brother's leg. Because children's blood is so pure and tastes so good. Oh, my gosh. It was so neat. So I, what do you think, Nadim? I mean, is, you know, this idea of this kid first in the storyline. What's your take on her? I'd yeah. love to hear your thought on that. Oh, I, I think she's amazing. And to be honest with you, one of the parts that sold me on how good she is is convincing her in her character is that there's a moment after the mother initially ends up in the hospital where her and the father go out and they sit down for a bite to eat. They order their steaks rare, whatever the case is. And he, she's basically insinuating, why do we need her? Like, why do we need the mother? She's not like us. She's talentless. So that whole scene right there sold for me how great of an actress this girl is. And also, a lot of times they like to use the, the reference or the image of children in horror movies because children, in essence, represent innocence. And how many times have we seen Billy in a horror movie where they'll have – it's a haunted house or a cemetery, and they just hear little girls laughing or playing in the background. And that has like a creep factor because you're in a creepy setting, but that's there's true. this innocence that's supposed to come through as well, right? Right, so, right, right. So this girl in the story, I think she's doing – this actress, she's doing an amazing job. And as far as using children in horror stories, they've actually been doing it for quite some time. And yes. honestly, that creep factor with it kind of works. It does. That's a great question, Simpson. Thank you for bringing that out and pointing that out. This is definitely, I think we're in a stage or an era of humanity where we're okay with bad kids, folks, and kids having voices. I mean, they did it. I mean, look at the child. Um, um, I forgot her name. I'm so at a blank today because I'm having that kind of a Wednesday. But the lady who played Exorcist, the, the Possessed, um, she was 16 at the time. 
spewing those words and the things that she was saying that I dare not even say on this microphone. And so, and that was in the seventies. So here we are today where we're seeing a whole new age of with children who have more exposure and access to awareness of what they can do potentially on stage as actors in horror. Right. And Adim, I got a question for you. And this was coming in from Denver. Good old Denver. What do you predict will be the second half of season 10? Meaning part two. Do you think it will be a crossover? And what favorite actors are you hoping to see? Uh, th- thank you, Denver, for your question. Denver's always listening and writing in questions. Thank you mm-hmm. so much. We appreciate it. We appreciate the love. Um, so my prediction for the second half is I'm looking at the, the cover, this cover of American Horror Story for this season. And I'm seeing the vampire element. I'm seeing the pill, the magic capsule, but I'm seeing an alien. So I'm thinking to myself, is there some sort of component within that pill that's extraterrestrial in nature? You know, the the lady who created or patented that pill in the show, she did say, whether it's a lie or not, that she did work for a government agency at one point. She did. So there has to be, I believe that there'll be some sort of connection into that realm, perhaps her backstory into the government agency and how she came to be, but there has to be a connection there, I think, with something extraterrestrial. In reference to the favorite actors, uh, to be honest with you, a lot of the actors in American Horror Story, mm-hmm. I mean, they're they're so good. And obviously we know that a lot of them are, um, are repetitive, right? Because we know that they come back a lot. And um, I do like uh, Cheyenne Jackson, I think is mm-hmm. very good. Um, Emma Roberts. Emma Roberts. Uh, Emma is Roberts is amazing. Isn't she awesome? Emma Roberts is amazing. I'd love to see uh, more Emma Roberts as well. But in general, I've been, I've been happy with the with the the cast that they have now. But I would also, always love to see the, the those actors and actresses come in. What about you, Billy? What do you think is going to happen in the second half of the season? You know, the, you know the 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 trailers and the 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 promos always throw things off, right? Until you watch the storyline, then you start seeing all the symbolism afterwards. I know that there is there is in, in the pro, in the trailer there is an alien coming from the sea, and I notice each time when there are slayings and blood is contaminating the sea, and there's the you know the shoreline meeting and death is always found at the shoreline. So there's there may be some some messages there. I'm wondering now if the alien aspect is what you just said. I, I didn't even give it thought because I thought, well, maybe these aliens are going to come in. What other way could we make aliens more obvious besides them beaming us up, Scotty? And I realized right. maybe the alien is all among us all along. Uh-huh. And what the chemist is doing is she probably may be more than what we may think she is. Because right. in this next episode, which, which we're going to see tonight, and I am so going to be ready in my bed to watch it, you get this, um, the, the little girl and the, the, the agent is going to meet the chemist, okay? That's where the last episode ended because she thinks she's going to be able to have a, a, an upper hand over the chemist, the right. agent. And I'm like, right. does, she know what she's, does, does she know what she's going up against? This is a whole other beast, okay? I don't care how cute and convincing that little girl can be and how much she thinks she can deal with the world. This lady worked for the feds. And so I think she's going to bring a whole other perspective that definitely will make us think. I will say this, though. I'm looking forward to seeing Kathy Bates return because I heard yeah. that, that Macaulay Culkin, Ryan Murphy let him take a peek at the script before. 
And he kept saying he's been after him for a few a few um, seasons to get him to come on board. But finally, Ryan Murphy said in an interview, and I saw this on, on online, he said, Macaulay Culkin said yes when, when he found out that he could actually have sex with Kathy Bates. <laughs> and he said, oh, I could be there. So I'm like, oh, okay, just that thought in my head is already scary enough. But he's perfect enough for pulling it off with her, right? So yeah. if that is the case, that's going to be interesting. Because if you notice the rating, Nadim, on this one, it said rated, it was like violence and language. There was no nudity. There was no other Correct. stuff. Yeah. Which Correct. I thought was great. We didn't have any other sexualized stuff in that regard. It was kind of neat not having that for once. Because sometimes those um, incorporations can be a little more cliche. It was mm-hmm. nice just to focus on the moment. Let's focus on the eeriness of the reality that these characters are dealing with. That was cool. Now, in reference to crossover, Billy, I'm, just, I'm thinking about something for a minute. Didn't the asylum theme have something extraterrestrial and alienistic in it on the second half, on the second half, on the latter half? Do you think I'm trying to remember. I don't recall getting that, but I was so turned off from it. <laughs> I oh. liked it, but I was so like, I was so like, I don't know why. It was so well done, and I I, I loved I especially loved the angel of death when she arrived and, and how she had the moment with the the nun who was possessed by the devil, but I I don't. I don't remember that actually. There was an alien component. I'm 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 trying to recall. I thought there was something extraterrestrial component to it. I could be wrong. I thought there was though. That's interesting. But I loved your prediction. I think your prediction is very solid. And Denver, we thank you so much for giving us that you know these thoughts or triggering these thoughts that we now convey to our audience. Thank you much. Absolutely. I have a question here for you, Billy, from Patricia. Patricia says, why do you think the storyline revolves around creatives? Interesting. What message do you think Ryan Murphy is sending? Oh, Nadine, that's a good one. And I'll start brief, and I'll be brief. Creatives, you know, we are creatives, you and I, brother. And we, are. we love what we do, but when we get when the world embraces what we do, it, it encourages you and invigorates us. It does. And perhaps – one would may, may perceive that as fame and fortune or societal acknowledgement, but then why keep all this goodness to ourselves when what we do is express the world through our lenses? So I think the storyline of create, focusing on creatives was perfect because creatives are understood. Creatives can sometimes be considered misfits, and creatives mm-hmm. also have very creative minds, and some will do the extreme to have that one moment in time of fame. So I thought it was the perfect season for it. And also, too, we haven't seen this done before. Before, creatives usually are the ones that, you know, get killed off or, or are seen yeah. as the outskirts or, you know, just misunderstood in the storyline or their stock figures. For once, we get the focus, and I am grateful. What do you think, Nadine? You know, Billy, you're right. We, you and I are both creatives. And I, I think we could both agree that sometimes it's not easy to create, but we always turn away. And we've been creatives for, you know, Forever, right? For a really long time. And so I think that people need to understand, at least my take and philosophy on it, is if you're creative, if you're out there listening and you're your own artist, uh, podcast, author, musician, whatever the case is, I think a lot of people will agree that you create for yourself first, right? If you're writing, you're getting those words out that you feel you need to get out. So you're doing it for yourself first because it's something you enjoy. And when other people enjoy it, that just gives you, as you were saying, that muse to keep doing it. But creatives often do things 
because they believe in their in themselves. Think about American Horror Story. The the lady who's the author, best-selling New York Times author, it shows her in one of the episodes. She was self-published, selling six books in a in a tour around several states and cities, and so she was creating for herself because that was a story she wanted to get out. So when you're creative and you create something, I believe you create it for yourself first, and then it just so happens because you're creating it because you want to get it out and other people can appreciate it. Oh, the message I think that that's sending is, and it's, as you mentioned, Billy, creatives are often in shows like this, they're often kind of pushed aside and so on and so forth. But I think that the message that it's sending is that people have talents that sometimes they're afraid to explore. Mm. And some of them shun from not sharing those talents. Correct. Or shun from sharing the talents because they know the implications of what that could bring. That's yes. a very good point. That's a very real point. And, and folks, thank you for listening. We're already half hour into this awesome show, and we have tons of comments and questions to get at. But this show, be, this season is so different. It just has so many, it has so many layers to unfold, so we're grateful. Call us if you wish at 347-539-5372. We'll still offer the number, although, although you prefer other options. 347-539-5372. Or everyday folks listen at gmail.com. Or FrightTalkGuys at gmail.com. Or right now on Instagram, go to N-T-A-B-S-C-H or Fright Talk, guys. And Nadim, I got a question for you. This sure. one is from Travis. He says, thanks for covering this topic. Uh, we we kind of already covered this. Do you have any predictions about the part one finale? Oh, we didn't cover this. Do you, do you have any predictions about the part, season part one finale? I do. Um I love to hear this. Because your predictions are better I, than mine. I'm so enthralled in the moment. I'm not even looking ahead. Go ahead. You know how in the show it, people travel back and forth. You know what I'm saying? They, they, they come yeah. to this town to create during a specific season, during a specific time. Yes. I feel that my prediction is people are not going to leave. When the season is over, people are not going anywhere. People are going to stay, and this is going to be their mainstay. And I believe that's going to be their mainstay. And as people come in, those will be the new, those will be the ones that will be fed off of, right? Because think about this: if you have somebody that's a brilliant playwright, and you have somebody that's a brilliant author and a, a brilliant screenwriter, and they kind of have ownership over this in this particular town, would they even want to share those pills with anybody else who's coming in that's a screenwriter or wants to be an that's author? True. That's so true. I think they might just kind of hunker down, and this might be their, their permanent mainstay and may feed off of those that, that come into town perhaps looking for, you know, that extra little push to, to explore their talents. What do you think, Billy, on that? On Ooh, that, 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 that part was one really finale? good. I, I like that. I like that, that, that perspective. I'll just add, you just made me realize, in the seasons, you notice how the people who they're feeding off of are the underrepresented or un, or yes. the downtrodden in society. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I find that very – so it's almost as if these greats, these talented individuals, are feel like they're doing a service, right? They're doing mm-hmm. humanity a service for getting rid of these unreliables, right, or deplorables. And in exchange for continued success and fame and wealth. But I'm always wondering, they still have urges. And I'm always wondering how close they are to the line, just like their Nosferatu counterparts that are out there, 
that are totally on a quest, uh, you know, and can never quench that thirst, they are no different. Their only difference is that they seem to be able to control and tame it because of what they have as this gift. And I'm just wondering if that is something that's going to unfold by the end of this season. If at some point the line would become so obscure that those who are settled and capable become just as savage. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's a, a great prediction. And you know, what's, what's great about predictions is that even when we're right, we're right. And when we're wrong, we're still kind of right. <laughs> we still kind of see <laughs> in what direction that's heading. I have a great question for you here, uh, Billy from Robert. Mm-hmm. And Robert says, I really like season 10 for so many reasons. For one, I can just get right into it. I agree with Robert on that. It's also based on a small town that I grew up in. Ah, interesting. We have a native. What other locations do you think will make a great American horror story setting? I think that's a great question. Robert, right here in the 305, okay? I'm going to say right here, (laughs) Robert, down here is almost like it's on American Horror Story. I love, we love our city, Nadim and our natives. We love our town, but listen, a lot goes on here, okay? And Uh so, and if you think about it, there are also some parts of South Florida that people don't know about, Nadine, that's that would true. make great settings. Like, look at Homestead. Oh, look yeah. Look at the whole entire world of Homestead, which I love venturing to on occasion, but there's a whole life there that's so different than the metropolitan life that people often see or portray of Miami, right? Homestead yeah. is its own city, but it is part of South Florida. It's just a hop and a skip away. And so I think that South Florida is a great place for another American horror story. And the problem is Florida's not so very kind to Hollywood because of the lack of incentives to attract, to attract it. But it would be yeah. really neat to have those, you know, to have something set like that. Not in California, not in New York. We, I love those places. But Miami or South Florida, we got a whole other thing going on here, too. Maybe even Central Florida, because you got the theme parks going on there, and I'm sure there'll be rights that you have to deal with there. Just a thought. What about you, Denise? St. Augustine, Florida. Ah, that's St. Augustine, Florida. We covered St. Augustine, Florida. They need to be studying St. Augustine, Florida. Even Savannah, Georgia. Even Savannah, Georgia. But I know that St. Augustine, Florida is a little bit more obscure for that, but it has such a rich history. Literally the oldest city in the the United States. It has such a rich history, and it has a very haunted history, right? So I think that would be... A great, the same way that they've done other shows, like when they did it in New Orleans, and we know that New Orleans is known for hauntings and things like that among some, some, such a great uh, culture in New Orleans. But I, I definitely think that – I know we're biased because we're from South Florida, but I think St. Augustine would be a great place to kind of hit up, and there's just so much you can do there. Um, but, yeah, that, that's what I would offer up, St. Augustine, Florida. So if they do a show in a couple of years in St. Augustine, Florida, you guys know where they got it from. You heard it here for first, people. Or if they do one in the 305, credit to Billy. <laughs> and put me in it, okay? And and we want to be in it. Ryan Murphy, so if you're yes. listening, we're willing. You can even kill me off. I want my moment. Just like Eureka had one of the drag queens from RuPaul. She had her moment. I want a moment. I don't mind being in the show. Kill me off if you need me to. I need to put on a wig. I'll do it, okay? I just want to be a part of the, part of the experience. Yeah, kill me off in the opening credits. Just put me in it. 
like what's his name from Maroon Five? Remember the guy in season oh, one? Oh yes, yes, Adam Levine. Yeah, it was like I think yeah, that was a really cool like opening. I was like, okay, that was pretty cool. So I got another question for you, Nadine. This one's coming in from Arthur. I wonder what shooting this film was like during the pandemic. Any thoughts? Oh, good, good question, Arthur. You know, the thing is that we all know that the pandemic has changed everything. And even the way we function in our regular jobs, it, it's changed. So I can only imagine when you have an entire film crew shooting this um, has to be, I, I mean, very, very difficult. I think they did a good job in picking a location that's going to be seasonal and perhaps maybe they were able to find a part that I'm not going to say is desolate, but a, a lower population or maybe a, a place where people have vacation homes and they're not there for part of the season. So I think that part was very deliberate, and I think that was a very smart thing to do. Um, I think that because of the pandemic, I think, uh, you know, film shoots took longer. If somebody yeah. on crew got, you know, and, and I don't know this because maybe it didn't happen, but what, what if, as an example, hypothetically, a crew member test positive did everybody have to quarantine and then that's that, right. that that stalls the 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 filming and all these things that go along with it and so listen arthur i'm happy that they're able to get it done in reference to how i think the filming went during the pandemic i'm going to say slow it is probably it was probably a slow and very tedious process in comparison to the seasons before what do you think billy I, I'll only add this, and that uh, that is because of the re, the evolving um, uh, actions and things we had to do to prepare for the unknown with the pandemic. I am certain that, like you said, production had to take pauses at that moment, which helped them actually reinforce and push their creative boundaries a little, a little bit, because then they had to reinvent how they were going to articulate or bring or execute what they wanted to show. So it really made them rethink or reimagine how they filmed. And my understanding is that um, they did film, um, you know, it was actually film production got interrupted because of the pandemic. They were shooting right after spring, you know, in springtime. So it was still cooler up there. The weather was, you know, definitely more inviting for, you know, a seasonal time of year with jackets and things. But they did get interrupted. That interruption, and, and at some point they were able to, re- to pick up where they left off they were able to use that time to reimagine and rethink how they did things while at the same time keep, keeping people safe. So that, that, I think, played out why we see so few characters, which made it even more masterful because we got to focus and really understand right. the storyline without having to dive too deeply. Yeah. Yep. Great question, Arthur. Thank you so much. Have one here for you, Billy, from Carlos. Carlos says, what's interesting about this season is that you have characters who are pairing up in ways that they normally didn't work together before. This is cool. Do you agree? Yeah, I mentioned that earlier. I do agree, Carlos. Uh, you have these great characters who normally are not in the same space at the same time because they're either playing, you know, there's this story, this time travel, playing backwards and forwards and in between. Um, one character enters and exits. Some didn't even enter the, 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 the franchise until latter seasons. So now you're getting this whole cornucopia of characterizations that are just wonderful. I think it's super cool. And I hope that carries out in part two. I really do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And again, I'm just going to echo what you said because everything there was spot on. I think that when you have so many seasons of American Horror Stories and you have a lot of characters and maybe those characters didn't intertwine and you finally see them intertwine, you're, well, not characters, actors and actresses, um, I think that once you finally see them intertwine, maybe they share a scene together they, they wouldn't have normally shared before. 
and you got you kind of get that experience to see that you're like okay cool I, I see that now that there's a mesh up between you know these characters and we never know if American Horror Story does a good job of connecting storylines we don't know if this connected to the other storylines or not so I think that that's a I think it's really cool when they do that as well. And, and Nadine Paulie has a question for us. It says, "What would you do for fame and fortune?" This is that's definitely mm-hmm. one of the questions posed from this season. Yeah, you know, we discussed this briefly earlier. It's the links people would go to for fame and fortune. Um, I had I was saying this uh, to I was doing a lecture last week, and I was saying this to people that were in the lecture. I said to them, "I don't want you to think, you know, here in the United States we." politicized and we have this idea that people who are famous have these amazing lives but what we see is superficial because people who are famous we don't know what their life is actually like we only know what we see on television or in social media so on and so forth we don't know how much of that is real that's thing one thing two sometimes with fame and fortune comes more problems right you if you're really famous you can't have a regular life in reference to you can't just go out to get starbucks because somebody's going to want a picture, somebody's going to want to talk to you, or somebody's going to want an autograph. Right. And so in a lot of times when we think of fame and fortune, a lot of people who feel that they want fame and fortune, it could be because maybe they're going through tough financial times, and that's obviously very understanding. Or maybe they feel that they're not getting their own recognition for their talents and some of the things that they're putting forward. I don't think you need fame and fortune to be happy. What would I do for fame and fortune? I don't think I would go out of my way completely for fame and fortune. If we become famous, Billy, that would be welcome. But it's not an aspiration of mine to be the most famous person in the world and to sit on a pile of money like Scrooge McDuck. That's never been that. Well, well said. Well said. I'll just add the fact that if we could take away one or the two for fame and fortune, you know, fortune is always nice. <laughs> I don't need <laughs> you to know that I got it. <laughs> right, so right, how right. I got it. Because, you know, fame and fortune off, off, often goes with being a celebrity. And that's not, you know, it, so I, I, I'll tell you what I won't do. And I'll say it briefly. And that is, I'm not going to sell my soul or compromise my own identity or my, my belief systems. And even more so, sacrifice the people I love, you know, from my right. co-host here to family and friends. I'm not going to do that for no dollar, for no acknowledgement. It's not worth it. My gifts are more valuable than that. I agree with you 100%, Louie. have a question for you, Billy, from Jessica. This is really good. Jessica says, I wasn't happy with what happened to the mother. She had to suffer the entire time, but the storyline was good. Hats off to the woman who played her. I agree. So I guess it was more of a comment than it was a question. It was more of a comment, but you know what? I agree. Remember I said it earlier. I, I did yeah. not like what happened in episode five last year, last week, Jessica. I was like, What? And, oh, my gosh, Nadine, she transforms. She becomes one of those Nosferatu's. Yeah. Yeah. We knew it was coming, but it hurt me to see it coming, and it hurt me to see her watch her, 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 her baby becoming a victim of this situation, something being born in this world, and she couldn't protect it as a mother. I was so right. grateful that the story reinforced that because mothers are, are protectors of their, of their, their, their kids of their cubs, of their children. And I was just floored that that all got thrown out. And what hurt it most, what actually made it worse, was that our own kid did it to her. Uh It was no Uh different than the idea of 
um, you know, of, of the child who, you know, the, the prodigal kid who turns on the cha- the parent and or right. at least abandons home. I, yeah. I just thought it was phenomenal, and I felt her suffer. She didn't have a happy moment in the entire storyline, and I she was okay not. with her crying. I was okay with her suffering to her bitter end, to her bitter end. Yeah. <laughs> Lily Rabe is the name of the actress, and she's a phenomenal mm-hmm. actress. Does a great job in the show. Um, and, yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, obviously she she is portrayed to suffer the entire time. And she's even kind of her own husband and her daughter turn against her. Right. You know, they, they see her, they view her as an outsider. Like this is somebody who doesn't have the skills that we do, or this is somebody who doesn't have the talents we do. So yes, I, I agree with you, Jessica. The storyline was good, but yeah, I get you for not being happy that she suffered the whole time. Oh, and Richard has a question for us. Nadim Richard says hats off to Sarah Paulson. That's right. Isn't she awesome? I just loved her in season 10. Okay, in every season too. What did you make of her character in this season? Can I be honest with you? I did not realize it was her after the first episode. (laughs) I did not realize that she was the homeless woman. And then I was like, wait a second. I saw her name pop up. I'm like, wait a second. Who the hell was she? And I said, oh my God, she was the homeless woman. She did such a great job. But she always does a great job, right? Whatever character she portrays, she does an amazing job. I thought, I'll put it this way. She was convincing. She is convincing, right? She was. She, she really is. So I, I thought she was phenomenal. She's phenomenal in, in all the American horror stories as well. Billy, what's that's your take on her? That's up for the makeup. Just oh, like yeah. you said, it took me a while until like this first, um, the end of episode one, I'm like, wait a minute. Oh my gosh, it's Sarah Baldwin. Like, why is she looking like that? She is busted. and But busted, but yet fully aware and fully in tune. And also very fine with her lot in life. It was very sad sometimes to see her feel like she was not worth anything. And then mm-hmm. it was even worse to see her forced to accept the things she didn't want was the superficiality of being acknowledged. I thought it was just, and who to do it, who to deliver it? Macaulay Culkin. Oh my gosh, Macaulay. Oh my gosh. Because I'm still trying to figure him out. I think he's so cool because he's so different. Like I'm still waiting for him to go, you know, home alone face. But I'm just realizing that he's so there's so many other sides of him and it's nice to see him not doing a doing some doing the acting I know he can do versus cameos. And to see him a veteran play off of her, another type of veteran. And and, and especially you know, in our modern times, we get to really know who she is. It's nice to see that play out and to see a friendship. A real mm-hmm. friendship. Because before Sarah Paulson sometimes playing the bitch. She's playing yeah. this, she's doing that. Are playing very very weak. It was nice, like like the tw- the head, the double headed sisters and freak show. Yeah. Um, so yeah. it's nice to see her in this role. Just she may seem physically weak, but underneath she's very strong. Love the paradox that it sets up, or the juxtaposition it sets up there. Agreed. And we have a question here from our good friend Max. Max, thank you so much for your question. Who do you think is the most impressive actor in this season? I can't even answer that, Nadim. I won't even answer because I like them all. What do you think, Nadim? I'm going to th- toss it to you. Macaulay Culkin. Macaulay really? Culkin. I'm going to tell you why. I don't remember what was the last thing I saw that Macaulay Culkin was in. I know his brother is in Succession, and his brother does an amazing job in Succession in the that HBO show. does an amazing job. Um, but I don't recall seeing Macaulay Culkin in anything significant from now to home alone. 
And so for him to kind of, to me, get back on screen on a regular basis and deliver a convincing performance of being, whether it be a meth head, a male prostitute, whatever the, the, the case is, I feel that for him, for, for me, him being on the camera and him doing it the way he was doing it and being able to connect with these different characters, and he's supposed to be this, like, low life of society, I think he did an amazing job. So for me, Max, I think Macaulay Culkin's the most impressive actor mm. of this, for this season. I got to give kudos to him. I will say for me, the to me, the number one in this season, Sarah Paulson, number one. And then I'm going to say the gentleman who played the, the struggling writer. I thought he was doing a very good job and really is he, we already know him to be crazy and sadistic in some certain roles he's played. It was nice to see him play like a man married. <laughs> it was so like, wait a minute, what's going on here? He's being normal. <laughs> and at least on the surface. And he's representing the identity of, the, you know, of people, men who struggle with their own, you know, inhibitions and, and issues. And it was nice to see him play this normal person on the surface um, without makeup, without all these things, just being a human. Right. Yeah. And so I, I think, Max, I, I, I just 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 too many to like. I will say this, though. Paris Jackson is going to is supposed to make an appearance. Oh. In the next season. Yes, yeah, because I remember Macaulay Culkin said. Uh, and one of the articles I read, I, he didn't say it, but I read in an article that says she, you know, because he's the godfather to her. And mm-hmm. in the article said it, you know, Macaulay Culkin and his goddaughter, Paris Jackson, are going to be in the season 10 double header of American Horror Story. We have a question here from Meredith. Meredith, thank you for your question, which is basically, we just talked about it. What do you make of Macaulay Culkin in the show? I think he's doing, I think we both think he's doing a, an amazing job. Uh, we, yeah. Yeah, Billy, we got a we got a few. Do you want to do this one? We got that social media that folks reached out to us. Oh, we, got like brother, you're good. we got a lot of All love, right. folks. So we, we try got to a lot of love going go for from the Friday Squad. All right, so uh, Billy posed the question, and he said, "We asked folks on our social media what's our favorite, what's their favorite American Horror Story season." So here's what the folks had to say. So please keep in mind, I'm reading their screen names. So this is the screen names that they've come up with. Okay, so we got. <laughs> The 5-2 Spice says, yes, my favorite show. LaCantry uh, says Freak Show was their favorite. Life Podcast Season 5, Hotel was dope. Mad Week 1, I never watched this, but everyone raved. Time to binge watch. Mad Week 1, you're slipping. Just to let you know, okay. I don't know what you're waiting for. Let's go. Start watching it today. Uh, Santi Munoz, Coven. Yeah, Sandy, that's amazing. Love Coven. Turbo Glitzy, Asylum was the Funk, and Marlin, Coven as well. A few votes there for Coven from our Fry Squad people. So thank you guys for posting that. We appreciate it, and we, we appreciate your opinions on that. Look at the Fry Squad. Isn't it awesome? Fry it's Squad, you're so loyal to us. we got to do something for yeah. you, Nadine. we got to figure that out. we got we got we, something coming for you all, okay? Our last do. question is, is from Dustin. At first, I thought it was about vampires, but I now realize it's so much more. I'm only on episode three, by the way. You're right, Dustin. <laughs> well, hopefully Dustin, you didn't Dustin. hear us, Justin, because we just we threw in a ton of spoilers. It is much more than just vampires, because we do talk about that element of the talented versus the non-talented. And also, what I, I think talent differs from one to the other, right? Because if somebody writes a book, and that book is 
you know, somebody thinks it's great. Somebody else could think, oh, the person's not talented. Somebody does a painting. Somebody thinks it's great. Somebody thinks it's not talented. So I think talent in general is very subjective. But definitely the show is goes deeper than just vampires, Dustin. So that's an amazing observation. And I think, Dustin, as you keep watching the show, you're going to enjoy it even more. And, folks, we can't thank you enough for your love and support to us. But it doesn't have to end after today. We have more coming for you. You know, 2021's been a good year, folks, here in Everyday Folks Fright Talk. We have been committed to you for over a year. And Adeem keeps the count better than I do. But I know we're over 30 episodes at this point. Uh-huh. Or just about yeah. at 30, right? 30 we're hours. 30, 30 hours. Exactly. 30 hours. 30 hours. And, folks, you do know that as of tomorrow, it is fall season. And it's our favorite time of year. And it, it also, is. we have a couple of things coming up on our show. Coming up October 8th is History of Halloween. We are very excited to have that conversation. That's part one. October 22nd, we're going to be looking for you to give us some scary ghost stories. But we're going to add a third thing that Nadim and I are up to. And Nadim, we're going to go ahead and share with him. On, August, on October 27th, which is a Wednesday, I believe, um, we are going to be um, facilitating a conversation at Broward College having a one-hour conversation for the Alumni and Friends Network of the Alumni Association at that college about horror. And the title of that, that, that work is, they just coined it, and we went back and forth today to Deem. I'm going to share you live so you're going to hear it. Things that right. go bump in the night, a, a, a chat about horror. It's going to be a really right. cool conversation. So, folks, if you're interested, stay tuned. Check out our webpage. Go to everydayfolksradio.com, and we'll post more information there so that you can access and register for this experience. Thank you so much, our Fright Squad people. We appreciate you so much. Uh, you guys have been absolutely amazing and all the love you've shown us. Please remember to follow us on Instagram at Fright Talk, guys. We appreciate the love, and until next time, stay spooky. Take care, all. Be well. <laughs>